Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. And I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. And welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. It's Thursday and so slightly later than build, we're here to reflect on some of the fallout from the midweek Premier League drama. A huge roar from the Gunners' support. What a win for Arsenal. A real test after three straight defeats. And they've stood up to that test. Every Tottenham fan, every Tottenham player, and don't let anybody tell you they're not watching. You find yourself being slightly unprofessional because he's come on and to be fair, he started to top a couple of them. But the reality of it is, I had to say it. <laughs> I would say they have 25 Formula One racing cars in, in their squad. We'll check in with Art de Rocher's a 4-2 win at Stamford Bridge last night kept Arsenal's top four hopes alive and both Kiva O'Neill and Laurie Whitwell join us in the wake of Liverpool's 4-0 win over Manchester United on Tuesday night. Yeah, very excited to talk to Kiva about another Liverpool masterclass. They're just absolutely relentless at the moment. Poor Laurie, not going to be a good one for him to come on. He's dubbed Manchester United, meme United, so looking forward to catching up with him as well. But first, let's welcome Art, Arsenal writer for The Athletic and regular on The Athletic's Arsenal podcast, Handbrake Off. Art, how are you this morning? I mean, are you as surprised as me? Because I was watching that game last night and it was such a funny game in the first half and I, I was just thinking... Arsenal find a way to lose this, but they didn't. <laughs> they found a way to win it. Yeah, I'd say there's a, a fair amount of surprise. I feel like there was something in the back of my head that um, was remembering what happened last season, where Arsenal were, were in terrible form, and it was Chelsea who gave them that almost lease of life on Boxing Day. So there was maybe hope there, but. Um, yeah, I didn't expect them to, to come away with four goals at Stamford Bridge. So definitely a, a pleasant surprise. It was such a chaotic game, especially that first half. Um, and it was almost a battle of which defence was going to be the worst and most disorganised. Yeah, I think the way they approached the game. So obviously with, say, Enketia's first goal, just pressing Christensen pressing Malang Sar as well, which Kaya Saka was doing. I think that part of the game plan worked tremendously well. But then, as you mentioned, <laughs> further back, the defence was just so cheap in the goals that they conceded. But then when you move into the second half, and I know a lot of Arsenal fans have started to like notice this, uh, when, when Arsenal go into that back five with Rob Holden there, um, low block, they just... Tend, they tend to see our games when they go to that almost state, if you want to call it that. Um, so I feel that would have given Arsenal fans a lot of encouragement in terms of them just being able to with, withhold that pressure late on and then also obviously get another goal because they were quite um, good on the counter when they started to play like that as well. So 
an all-round encouraging performance. Granite Xhaka was really impressive, but you mentioned Rob Holding. I feel like he doesn't get enough love for me. I I'm a big Rob Holding fan. New hair, new man. Uh, <laughs> I think he's. I think he does really well for what he's required to do. Like he he knows now that he's sort of a squad man, but. When he is asked to step up because of an injury or, or whatever, he does do a job. And I suppose there were lots of elements that were so important for Arsenal because it was about players who may have not started a lot this season or a lot over the last couple of years, but had to step up in a really massive game. And that's probably, for Arteta and the fans, quite an important thing because maybe Arsenal haven't done enough of that sort of winning ugly in many ways, even though some of the goals were like that Emerson throws goal was incredible, that passing move. But all in all, sometimes you need to be a little bit grittier. And I suppose a lot of Arsenal fans haven't seen that, especially in, in, in the defeats in the lead up to this game. Yeah, I think Rob Holding throughout the season has been really important, even though he is, as you mentioned, probably a squad player now. And one, one thing that I think football fans in general almost feel like every player in the squad, is, if they're not a starting 11 player, then what are they doing at the club? But I think that just shows the importance of having squad players like Rob Holden, who, despite not being a regular starter, has worn the captain's armband for Arsenal this season because he has the trust of Mikel Arteta. And you've also seen how, um, especially with Rob Holden this year, it's not just what he does on a football pitch that matters to the club, really, because um, I'm not sure if you guys remember, but in December, when Arsenal went to Leeds, um, there was a fan that was directed racial abuse towards Nuno Tavares and Nicolas Pepe. And uh, Rob Holden was the player to point it out and address it to the officials. And then I think within that night, the person was arrested. So I think you just see the importance of having good characters in your squad and then if they are able to back it up on the pitch when they are needed um, like Rob Holden has done when not only at Stamford Bridge but he's he's often come on as like an 80th minute substitute to see out games uh, the ugly way as you mentioned Flo um, I think that's um, all the more beneficial and you've probably seen that a bit more from Arsenal this season which I think Arsenal fans especially in those away games um it gives them something to hold on to. Yeah, you, you need players like that in the, in the squad, absolutely. Any successful team or any team in general will have players that know their job, know their role, know their first choice. That didn't, Sorry, know they're not first choice. That there's no shame in being back up to Gabrielle and, and Ben White because they've been very good this season. But if you've got someone that you can bring in for certain games and they'll come in, they'll give it their all. They're low maintenance around the dressing room and actually they're helpful in the dressing room. Every successful team will want players like that. Every good team over the years has had players like that. So Rob Holding deserves a lot of credit for the way he came in last night because he did really help Arsenal get over the line. How panicked have the Arsenal fans been recently? Because you know they were going so, so well and then to have this little stumble where they've lost a few games. They almost haven't played badly in, in some of the games. Though. The, the XG would have been really high. They've created a lot of chances. They've just, they've just found themselves in difficult situations and not, and not managed to get over the line in those difficult situations. How panicked were Arsenal fans before last night and how relieved are they that they've had a game <laughs> where they've took their chances? Yeah, I've, I'd say the panic was rising by the day. Um, when you consider going on a three-game losing run is not something that is deemed as acceptable. The first two games, I think they just were outplayed. 
at Palace, they just didn't match the intensity at Sellers Park. And then at Brighton, the uh, team selection just didn't allow for any real progression of the ball through the middle of the pitch. And there was just almost nothing to, to set a platform. At Southampton, especially considering um, the Tottenham game, uh, which they lost to Brighton, was an early kickoff. So a lot of the away support would have been watching that in the concourses. I just feel the performance that came after that was a little bit flat. They they have not done well than when they have to chase games because they I think they've lost eight of the nine games that they've conceded first in. So that just shows you it, it is a real task for them to get um, past that barrier. But I feel like, one, the, the urgency was there last night on the pitch. And again, tactically, I think um, they... They understanded what was needed against Chelsea really well. Um, and that, that put them in good stead throughout the game because there were moments where they were playing in the back five. There were moments where they were playing in the back four. Definitely credit to to Mikata and his players um, and also the travelling support as well because they, they have helped Arsenal in those games this season. And I think they did so again um, last night. Massive night for Eddie Nketiah. Um what was the reaction like on your timeline to him starting? Because obviously Lacazette hasn't been in form either, but he is an important character, a leader that, that Arteta's definitely relied on, especially in the absence of, of Aubameyang. But the striker issue hasn't gone away. Uh, and even if they do get top four, that is a big summer talking point, isn't it? But I felt like a lot of fans had come to the realisation that maybe Nketiah wasn't the man for Arsenal. He is a good player, but not good enough, not consistent enough in his finishing, good work rate, uh, press as well, but just doesn't have the finishing required to be a consistent starter and reliable centre-forward for Arsenal Football Club. But has last night shifted that at all? Yeah, in terms of pre-match reaction, I didn't feel anyone was surprised really just because he started against Southampton on the weekend. And even in that Southampton game, I feel like he, he offered more than Alex Lacazette has done in recent months. He was able to uh, stretch the Southampton defence, run in behind, uh, win the ball and actually carry it and then create opportunities off the back of that, uh, which he, of course, did again for his first goal at the bridge um, last night. Um, there's never really been a question about his finishing because that's been almost his trademark uh, ever since he was in the youth teams. Um, it's more been about his general play. And I think he has improved that, say, if we look back this time last year, he's a lot more comfortable and knows how to receive the ball. I think you saw that in the build-up for his second goal, the way he received the ball in the turn. I know there was uh, a bit of fortune with the way the ball eventually fell to him for his finish. But that turn is something he's been doing since pre-season and I don't think it's something that's been in his game previously then I guess it's all about also and he I think he mentioned this when he was on um, the Beautiful Game podcast earlier in the week where if he's coming on for five minutes every few weeks what could you really expect from him mm. um, you're yeah. only going to see the real player when they're actually playing 90 minutes um, week in, week out. So, and what would you, what do you think about him going forward now, though? Generally, like obviously, the lack is that issue hasn't gone away, mm. and they need to find someone. Do you think that game is enough for Arteta to think right? Eddie's going to start 
rest of the season, which I think the expectation is he will start against United. And he could be the man next season. Uh, first part of that question, I think so. Yes. Um, second part, Arteta has always been very clear that he wants to keep Nketiah, but I just don't feel like the situation is in Arsenal's hands anymore because he is uh, at the end of his contract in June, um, coming up to 23 years old in May. And the fact that he hasn't started regularly this season or any season he's been at Arsenal, I think it's more down to what he wants rather than what Arsenal wants um, at this point in time. And personally, I don't necessarily feel like that's a bad thing. I know it means Arsenal aren't in control of the situation, but when you're looking at a player's career, um, do you want to be someone who's looked at as a rotational option or would you want to go somewhere where you're almost guaranteed to start and almost take your career to another level? Um, I, I, if that was me personally, I'd probably take the second option. Um, so yeah, in terms of Arsenal, I think they, they do now have a, a different option that gives them something more for the rest of this season. But beyond that, I think it's more to do with what Eddie Nketiah wants to happen rather than Arsenal deciding where his future lies. I think he has to be kept in the team now. I think you raised a valid point that you're never going to see the best of a player when they get five minutes here or there. They're coming for one game and they don't start the next. You're never going to get any momentum. You're never going to get that run of games going. So you're never going to see the best of that player. Now he scored those two goals last night. You've got the chance now to let him see out the, the end of the season and that's a good thing for Arsenal and a good thing for him because if he doesn't stay at Arsenal for example for him personally he's putting himself in the shot window he's going to be hungry to show that if he's given a run of games he can be the man that scores goals so it's a chance for him to perhaps get a move but it's a chance for Arsenal to have something that they haven't really had this season in the number nine position and have someone who can sit the ball in the back of the net you know and also for Nketiah I guess if he was if he was ever going to get games it would have been this season when Arsenal have only had two strikers Arsenal will be active in the summer that they'll get a striker if he's he's not going to stay. I don't think I don't see there's a world in, in which he stays because he would know Arsenal are bringing in another striker. This small squad thing that, that Arsenal have had for the season, the injuries look like they might derail it a little bit. But this top four race now, it is going to go down to the wire. How important is it for Arsenal to get this top four? And is there a slight sense in you that maybe thinks we wouldn't have expected this at the start of the season? It could be a year early. Um, I don't think anyone would have expected Arsenal to finish in the top four this season at the start of the season. But saying that, I don't feel like there's any benefit in viewing it as coming too early. I think yeah. if it's there, one, it just gives you the opportunity to accelerate your progress. In- it gives you a bit of cash as well. They need that European cash, right? <laughs> it gives you a bit of cash. <laughs> um it gives you that opportunity to accelerate the, the progress from a point where, okay, we can keep going and tone the line or we can just make a few bigger strides and then you never know where you can be from that. I think viewing it as, oh, Arsenal might not be ready to compete in the Champions League is a bit backwards in a way because you never know what's going to happen until you're actually in the competition. Um, so I think... It's almost as if, I I don't know how many people think like that now, but um, I just think that rather than 
almost being scared of that challenge, just take it on. Um, because one, you don't know when the season is going to pan out like it has done this season again. And if, say, Tottenham were to finish in that top four and almost accelerate their progress with Antonio Conte, Harry Kane, Son and their players, you don't know where that can take them. So um, I I just think that uh, with the opportunity being there, you have to take it with both hands because you you never know what's going to happen in two weeks, three months or a year's time off the back of that. Oh, when you came on the pod a few months ago, you said that you thought Spurs were going to pip Arsenal top four and probably up until the, what was it, quite an early goal, wasn't it? 11th minute of last night's game, you, you probably thought it was still the case given the the run uh, that, that Arsenal had been on and the good run that Spurs had been on until losing at Brighton. So where do you stand now? <laughs> um... It's a difficult one. I just... who, Whoever is able to maintain their momentum, I just feel like the the margins that both teams have been almost living inside for most of this season have been way too small for to, re- to rely on either of them, really. You look at both teams' performances against Brighton and you just see... What is it about Brighton? No, why are they the bogey, <laughs> the bogeyman? Like I don't get it. It's just to be honest, it it's always it always happens every season with Arsenal against Brighton. Um, yeah, I remember, well, obviously the Mope famous villain, Arsenal yeah. villain, right? So they they've yeah, got their number. Mope, and then a couple of seasons before that, it was um, I believe it was Solly March at the Emirates. Um, honestly, it, it's I'm getting PTSD thinking of it, <laughs> <laughs> um, but. Yeah, I think before last night, people would have looked at Arsenal's running and thought they would have had a much more difficult run. But I just feel if you're able to build on last night, take that into the United game, and then build on that again against West Ham, who are still in the Europa League, I just feel like that gives you a great opportunity. But I do just also think it comes down to that North London derby. I don't think it's going to be settled before then because because I can see both teams dropping points. Um, so I think that that game is going to be massive, which is unfortunate because it's going to be even more stressful to watch. <laughs> it's going to be intense. Are you discounting the Premier League whipping boys that you've got up next in the in the top four race? <laughs> um, honestly, I I'm Arsenal lost to Man United earlier this season when they shouldn't have, so I'm not ruling them out just because, despite how often they're dropping points, I. I Arsenal versus Man United is just um, a truly crazy game that Arsenal can be on top of for 90 minutes and still lose. So <laughs> so hopefully that's not the case. But um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not going to truly discount them just yet. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. Stay with us as we'll talk about Thiago purring at Anfield and if anyone is starting to feel sorry for Manchester United. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're joined now by Laurie and Kiva, Manchester United and Liverpool correspondents for The Athletic. Let's start with the game on Tuesday then. A more pleasant chat for you, Kiva, not so much for you, Laurie. Kiva, was it a case of Liverpool were that good or was it just that United were really, really bad or is it somewhere in between? I think it is somewhere in between. Obviously, Liverpool just looked amazing. But I mean, even I was willing United on to press a little bit more to challenge this team. You know, Liverpool sort of react better when they're challenged, which I think you've seen at Wembley against Man City. Yeah, it was quite sad. Lingard came on and I was like, right, someone's got to do some running now. And he he was about the only player who did. But yeah, I think it just showed that Liverpool are on another planet to United. And it really showed on the pitch, didn't it? Thiago just... I mean, he looked bored by his own brilliance most of the game. Like, this is, you know, on like levels above this, it's sort of, it looked beneath him almost. And um, But he looked like he enjoyed himself. And yeah, it's it was quite sad viewing for some, wasn't it? I think Laurie will agree there. <laughs> That's the narrative I'm trying to spin, Kiva. <laughs> Are the neutrals feeling sorry for Man United? Has it got that bad? Flo, you seem to be suggesting maybe I was on the right lines. I know a lot of the subscribers in the comment section to the piece where I mentioned this, uh, we're refuting that suggestion. Yeah, I was I was saying in a WhatsApp group on Tuesday night that growing up in London and having to go to school with so many Manchester United fans and see them win everything, um, I, I never thought I would see the day where I would feel sorry for fans of that football club. But I actually did on Tuesday night because it was such a low performance. And I, I don't want to sound like Roy Keane, but it's really lacking any kind of fight bite, energy, determination. And I've seen a lot of QPR performances like that over the years. So it's very relatable content, but it's mad to see a club like that and some players like that, some huge, huge players just not even hit any sort of level. It was it was really, I mean, Laurie, do you think it's the lo- lowest point? since Fergie left or do you think the lowest is still to come or we've already had the lowest? I mean, there's obviously already been some fairly low points. Well, I suppose when Jose got sacked after a defeat at Anfield, that was uh, deflating in a sense of he kind of just put six defenders out there, didn't he? And, and offered nothing in terms of trying to actually go and win the game. I suppose at least Ralph Ranić changed it half-time and there was that brief flicker, wasn't there, of of, of a threat with Jaden Sancho dribbling and Rashford having that shot. But then, as Kiva said, Liverpool almost took that as an affront and thought, actually, no, we're going to go and show our dominance again here and, and you know, Robertson nips in and, and they get the third and then the fourth. Um, uh, and also, I suppose, you know, you mentioned Thiago there. I think Alisson was probably a better midfielder than any of United players on that pitch as well. You know, his Cruyff turn to Fernandes was a bit of skill that, you know, I've not seen from United players for, for a little while. Um, so I suppose in, in the, you know, in the wholeness of it, yeah, I struggled to find. I suppose there's a hope in the sense that you know you're going to have Eric Tenard come in, and it's a new manager. This can be a reset in the summer. And listen, if they're not in the Champions League, it's not the absolute worst thing in the world. Um, I kind of felt like maybe under Jose at times, even though he won trophies, there was that 
sort of disconnect between the fans and the players and and what you felt there. But it, it, it's definitely it's definitely in the mix for the lowest you felt because um, Anfield, where they're doing olays at half time when United players are kind of just passing it around, uh, keeping warm whilst Martin Atkinson fixes technology. Fans leaving well before the end. Um, and I did check, actually. So they were allowed to leave the stadium up until okay. like 85 I minutes. I did wonder. I, I wondered this, you see. I, I spoke to Andy Mitten, who was there, and he said they were allowed to leave. Um, but then they, they closed the gates uh, sort of a bit later on, and, and they were forced to kind of watch the full uh, debacle. The torture. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I felt I, there was some, I, was some kind of analogy with Easter and, you know, kind of suffering. I don't know, maybe that's something we can play on, but... It, it, it just emphasised how far behind they are from Liverpool. And we said this about Man City, they got beat 4-1 at, at the Etihad uh, and that was you know, a, a, another debacle. So I think it just underlines the gross uh, negligence, I suppose, of how much money they've spent for where they're at now. It's, it's crazy, really. Keith, okay, it's just two historic teams that are at polar opposite ends of the, of the spectrum in that Manchester United have just got no energy at all from top to bottom. And that is then reflected on the pitch. Liverpool are a club they're energised, they have got that energy and then that gets reflected on the pitch also in a good way. They had a few performances where in the first half they didn't show up in games and you know you know what happened at Stamford Bridge when Chelsea come back. There have been sort of moments in the season as a whole, Brentford, Brighton when they drop points but they just look recharged in the past few weeks and that Wembley performance I think was just defining sort of how the season's going to end for Liverpool. You know, even if they don't sort of end it with trophies, they just look like they're just so together, the fans with the players. It just it's something special now, and I don't think it's felt this special under Jurgen Klopp, which is mad to think because he's won a Champions League and brought you know a Premier League title after a thirty-year wait to Liverpool. But something we're on, we do feel on the cusp of something here that is you know never been done before. And yeah, it was it was almost like weird to watch because Liverpool obviously beat United 5-0 at Old Trafford and you probably thought that was a one-off that was never going to happen again because you know United wouldn't let that happen again but they sort of did they didn't show any fight and, and Liverpool I think were maybe a little bit surprised by that at times just probably thinking well this is too easy you know I don't think they've had an easier game than that all season you know every other team is you know playing against United or Liverpool teams turn up they, they put that extra 1% in that extra 10% whatever it is because it's the, the playing against this badge the playing against this history but you know Liverpool fans have had many a dark year so I think they're just enjoying it for what it is at the minute where Liverpool are you know feeling on top of the world and, and trying to get there in terms of you know winning all of the silverware It also seems like the Liverpool have completely finessed peaking at the right time more than any other team, I think, in Europe right now and definitely in the Premier League. You follow the, the and cover the club, Kiva. So what has been going on behind the scenes when it comes to like physical and mental peaking and performance that has really allowed this team to channel everything to cup finals that come at the end of the season and winning the league at the end of the season because the momentum that they're showing in the latter stages of a campaign is just getting better and better year on year. It feels like how an Olympic athlete would tailor themselves to peak at Olympic Games. I don't see any other club managing to maximise themselves like they are. 
Yeah, Jurgen Klopp has left no stone unturned. And I felt like, you know, a couple of years ago, this was the best Liverpool team and they were doing everything, you know, getting Thomas Grandmark in, the throwing coach, everyone laughed at that. And, you know, doing, I think they had like a, a diver who, who come in and was chatting about like, you know, how to hold your breath for longer and sort of what parts of the body you think about your toes and all this sort of mad stuff. Like, did they have, um, what's what's his name off the telly? Um they brought him in pre-season. It'll come back to me, you know, just to give a chat. And it was just like, they're just looking for every little tiny advantage. And I think the beginning of the season as well, and throughout the season, they've had neuroscientists in with them, sort of working on set pieces. And they scored all 18 goals from set pieces this season when you know, it's a lot more than they did last season. They're just looking for everything. And I just think, I mean, that must be so tiring almost, like the thought of you know managing that and running that and being like, right, we need to get the extra edge out of this, out of that, like... It's, it is incredible, all the stuff that goes on that we probably even don't know about as well. And, you know, in terms of like even resting and rotating players, then Klopp's probably the leader in his field of of that, alongside probably Pep Guardiola and, you know, ensuring when players do get to these sort of red zones that brought out of games and, you know, allowed that rest, even if it is, you know, Thiago in the next game and he's, he's rested, that is, you know, all making sense because these geniuses at the club are just deciding all of this stuff and it's just you know he's he's built this like machine almost like you know your brother's a bit of a nerd and he, he's built his own computer it feels like almost like you know not calling anyone nerds for that but I you know take the mickey out of him a little bit but it feels like Klopp's done that and he's built a supercomputer you know Liverpool fans are thinking he might leave the club in 2024 when his contract's up, but you know, they're all already begging him to stay on because they know like it it would be such a difficult period no matter who comes in, whether it's you know Gerard, Pep Linders, whoever's the next manager, it's gonna be a tough ask to keep up all this, you know, incredible behind the scenes stuff which is going on. Sorry, Laurie, this must really feel like being at your own funeral here <laughs> and you know you know all about what happens when an iconic manager ends up leaving. But Ralph Rangnick was supposed to be the guy that came in and offered some expertise, maybe just brought a little bit of energy to Manchester United, but he detached himself from any form of blame, it feels, in recent weeks, and it feels like he's had enough. Manchester United beaten him in the short space of time he's been there. They've almost been better off keeping Solskjaer in some ways because the, the Rangnick experiment just hasn't worked at all. Yeah, it's got no better, has it? You look at the results and it's actually uh, a worse set of fixtures than Solskjaer uh, got sat with. So um, I, I could, it, it felt like it had got to a point with Solskjaer where he had to go. You know that game at Watford where he's getting V signs from the away fans, and and it was it was uncomfortable because this is a guy that you know has obviously done as a player so much for United, and even as a manager, you know had some really good moments. Um, but yeah, in, in the fullness of time, you're sort of thinking actually give him. Just, just, just let him ride it out, and then maybe make that change at the end of the season. Um, but I suppose football doesn't work like that. The idea of Ranjit was that you know he was this guy that would come in as an interim and know absolutely that he was going to be leaving the club, and, and you know the kind of managers that would say yes to that were, were not a, a, a large pool, I suppose. And John Merton knew him from before um, when he, he toured the RB group, and the, the kind of the necessity of it being quick was was one thing as well given the fact that they sacked Solskjaer and didn't actually have a, a ready-made... I think Ranjit was kind of in, in the works, but they didn't. it wasn't, you know, they had ample time to go and explore the market and see who they could bring in. And then that showed with the coaches set up, you know, the fact that they got Chris Armas. I, I don't think that was Ralph Ranjit's first choice, but it was, again, someone that he knew from the Red Bull network. And, and But his previous record, you know, is over at FC Toronto, where, you know, he got sacked for 
I think he lost 7-1 in his final game. So I'm not saying that that absolutely means that you can't coach at this level, but it means that the Premier League's new to you and Manchester United in itself is even new to you. So you're therefore leading the sessions with the likes of Paul Pogba, Cristiano Ronaldo. I don't know, there's a bit of a... Well, they look at that, wouldn't they? Footballers, yeah. research people that are coming in, yeah. they're going to look at that and think, what's, what's this got all about? Yeah. And then in the contrast that Kiva's talking about there, you know, in, ter- in terms of thinking about a throwing coach and all these different marginal gains that they could bring, if United tried that right now, it- it'd be laughed at because it's like, well, do you want to build the foundations first before you yeah, start you adding don't, these it's too extensions early for, on? It's too early for marginal gains. What, where do you think they're looking? Because obviously we, we, we've seen the reports that the deal with Ten Hag's been sewn up and, and he's going to be coming. Would it boost the fan base boost the boost the feeling around the club to announce that fairly soon or do you what do you think it's going to be end of the season over the summer obviously they've got to communicate with Ajax and, and do all of those things as well or is it about respecting Ragnik for the rest of the season but at the moment it feels like there needs to be some kind of looking ahead because otherwise the rest of the season is going to be quite miserable you know, I think the Ten Hag announcement, it, it could be very soon indeed. Um, I don't think they want to keep it bubbling along. People know what's happening. So why why hide that fact, make it public? And as you say, then at least signings that they might want to make, uh, planning that they might want to do on the, the squad. Um, and everyone knows where they're stood, um, you know, in terms of having Eric Ten Hag as the confirmed manager. Um, and, and I don't think Ralph Ranjit would have a problem with that. He knew what he was coming into when he signed up to it. Um, I'm sure he would like to have a conversation with Eric Ten Hag about what he thinks of the squad. You know, clearly he's, he's dropping a few bombs now, isn't he, in terms of what he thinks about um, the kind of quality of the play. I mean, that was the one thing that he said after Anfield. It was like, the quality is different. Um, um, and listen, I, I think he has questions to answer over certain selections. I think the back three was, uh, it didn't work, did it? You know, he changed it at halftime, um, you know, um, and that was an area that Liverpool exploited from the get-go, you know, that, um, channel between Maguire and Dalot and you've got Trent Alexander-Arnold and Mo Salah two absolute world beaters in that position knowing the position inside out you know they exploited it within sort of five minutes um, but I do think that yeah United will look to at least get a bit of confirmation about the Ten Hag situation and I think it will fans will look at that and go okay fine we've got a new guy that's coming in at least that's some glimmer of hope at the end of this very dark tunnel uh, and we can start looking towards next season. But then they've still got fixtures left. You know, they've still got Arsenal to come, Chelsea to come, and, and they're going to be potentially brutal fixtures if they play anything like they did at Anfield. Yeah, I'm going to do this the opposite way around because bizarrely, as much as we're talking in this way about Manchester United, Kiva, they still can get top four. Like, this this <laughs> this season is just just a joke in that nobody seems to want that top four space at all. Who do you, do you who do you think will get that top four space, Kiva? Difficult, isn't it? I feel like the momentum might be with Arsenal now. Beating Chelsea for them should spare them on. Probably shouldn't say spare them on anywhere near Arsenal, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, just got a feeling for them. But if United managed to do it, that would be incredible. You know, Liverpool really struggled last season to get there. Took Allison scoring a goal to pretty much get them there, and now you know they're on the cusp of maybe a Champions League final. So it's you know moments in, in games that could sort of. You know, happen for United, but you know, I, I'm not. I'm not sure they have those sort of that momentum or those characters in the team. Really, you know, even playing like Nat Phillips and and Reece Williams in defence, that you know they showed heart and and you know tried yeah. everything. And I don't know, like the young player that come on at the end was um, for United. You know, was, yeah, just you know showing a bit, wasn't he? And he was sort of commented on by Gary Neville after that. I mean, you sort of think, would United just throw a load of young lads in the team and just see 
see what they can do, you know, because I know they've used a lot of youth players, but I just feel like sometimes they're, you know, they a lot of them support the club or just have that, like, you know, come through the academy and are so hungry to, to wear the badge. And, yeah, I mean, I think United are quite far from having Ben Fogel, who it was, uh, to come back to it. Because um, I forgot who it was. <laughs> ben I wasn't sure if you were going to say Ben Shepherd. I mean, it's still yeah. ITV this morning vibes, isn't it? No matter, no matter where you live. But, <laughs> but yeah, so Ben Fogel's in uh, Evian in France for Liverpool's pre-season, you know, camp there. So Liverpool's, you know, quadruple hopes were built on a, a Ben Fogel chat. But, <laughs> ben Fogel you know, masterclass. <laughs> the adventurer. And they've gone on some adventure this season. I mean, if Ben Fogel turned up at Old Trafford, you probably get in the turn. You probably be, probably be in midfield. That's that's probably the probably the difference. I thought he was an academy player for a second. I thought he'd <laughs> yeah. get, get him in. Yeah, and I want to come to you, Laurie, to ask who do you think is going to who do you think is going to win the league? It's a terrible question for you. Obviously horrific for you to have to answer it. But if you, if you had to choose, who do you think is going to win the league? Oh, I, I think Liverpool have got the momentum. I think they're the team with the real purpose about them. Um, you know, and and as Kiva was saying at the end there, you have got Jurgen Klopp giving it the fist pump to the cop, and I suppose that's what's different about this title charge than the last you know the one that Liverpool won because the fans are mm-hmm. here and you can see it you can feel it and the contrast with United was you know you had a few fans that stayed and, and they kind of applauded that you know Marcus Rashford went over and gave his shirt but it was all very so I think Liverpool will win it but I, I'm allowed to say that I kind of as a with my United spectacles on hope that City they're the, they're the lesser of two evils from a United perspective because the only thing that United have got now is 20 titles and if Liverpool go and match that you just know they're going to go and march well past it so it's it's faint hope but I actually do think Liverpool will go on and win it yeah Brody I'm the same I think Liverpool will do it it just feels like it, there's too much momentum there at the moment I, I think they might even do the quadruple yeah I think I think that is a good shout and I think when you look at the tired performances of Chelsea last night and City last night, who made hard work of it in the first 50 minutes or so uh, of their game. I think the momentum is is with Liverpool because they look so energised. They don't look like a team that's still in every competition. They don't look like a team that's had players go and play and win uh, international football tournaments. They look young, fresh, hungry, and they, their recruitment is unbelievable. Uh, you know, they've added a, a very fresh legs in, in January in Diaz, who's just set the league alight. I think everyone is pointing to them at the moment, but City have the advantage of being in front and having to be chased. Thanks so much, Akiva and Laurie, and uh, yeah, commiserations, Laurie, and look forward to seeing how the season ends, Kiva. This is a paid advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Do you ever get that feeling that you need to get something off your chest? We all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe place to release and discuss those thoughts and feelings and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a licensed therapist. And if things don't click, you can switch to someone new at any time with no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month of online therapy by heading to betterhelp.com slash athleticfootball. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash athleticfootball with no spaces. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Still time for us to point listeners in the direction of some of the other great items that are up on the site right now. Flo, anything that you've been reading that you want to point out? It's got to be Laurie's Meme United piece. We obviously just chatted to him. Uh, it is a really good piece if no one's read it. it. I think it really sort of sums up the feeling at the club at the moment, the feeling on social media. Anyone who's on Twitter and has been watching the football this week would have seen that. Uh, yeah, a really, I think a really good piece. It's not often you go into the back end of the season with everything to play for in terms of we don't know who's going to go down necessarily. We don't know who's going to get that fourth spot and we really don't know who's going to win the league. Yeah, it's amazing considering start of this season. I think there were a lot of people just thought it would be the top four race. That was all we were going to be getting excited about. But Everton are still keeping themselves uh, in trouble. Not great performance uh, to get a point against Leicester. Obviously spoke about top four race and, and title race on this pod. So yeah, I think it's going to be a very exciting end of season with lots of exciting fixtures as well, actually. No one's got yeah. a super easy run, which I think is, is also re- really good. And we've got Leicester and West Ham playing for trophies in Europe as well. So there's plenty going on at the back end of the season. There's a good piece from Peter Rutzler as well on how Marco Silva has engineered Fulham's return to the Premier League. Fulham and Norwich don't seem to be able to exist in the Premier League at the same time I've noticed. So it looks like Norwich are on the way back down and Fulham are on their way back up again. So it would be good to see Peter Rutzler writing about Fulham next season for the Athletic in the Premier League. And a final reminder from me that you can read every article we've mentioned and so much more by signing up to The Athletic. It's just £1 a month for the first six months. So head to theathletic.com forward slash football pod to get started. Yeah, and thanks again to our many guests, Art de Rocha, Laurie Whitwell and Kiva O'Neill for joining us today. And of course, thank you to all of you for listening. Get involved in the comments section. We'd love to hear your thoughts and why not leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify as well if you've got the time. This was the Athletic Football Podcast. Flo and I will be back in our usual Wednesday slot next week. Have a good weekend and enjoy all the football. The Athletic.